0: I'm Lake Miller.
1: And I'm Hannah Brown. Welcome to Gem City Diversity, a podcast where we talk about diversity and inclusion in the Dayton area.
0: We're from the National Conference for Community and Justice of Greater Dayton, or NCCJ. NCCJ works in the Miami Valley to increase understanding around the topics of diversity, equity, and inclusion.
1: In this episode, Lake interviews Dara Cosby about disability and education. They discuss her preschool and K-12 schooling, as well as college and grad school, the accommodations she had, accessibility in education, and the term disabled. Enjoy.
0: Well, uh, Dara, thank you so much for for taking some time to be on the podcast today.
1: I'm honored to be here. You guys do really great work, and it's a pleasure. Thank you.
0: Absolutely. Um, Well, I want to preface this episode, perhaps, um, with something that I think is really important. And that's, we're going to have a really great, honest conversation today. But I also want to make sure that the folks who are listening in the future know that Dara today is speaking only for Dara. Um, and that nobody on our podcasts are ever going to be speaking on behalf of an entire group of people. Um, so I want to preface everything that you're about to hear and potentially see on this podcast today, uh, with the fact that We have a wonderful speaker, a speaker of Dara here who is speaking for only her experiences. Awesome. (laughs) Um, So I want to start with uh, maybe the dreaded question. I'm not quite sure. Of Tell me about yourself.
1: Oh, goodness. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Let's see. Well, um, like I said, my name is Dara Cosby. I am a creative, um, empathetic weirdo (laughs) in the best way, I think. I try to be at least. I um, grew up um, in the Centerville area in terms of middle school, high school experience, and I went to Wright State for undergrad and UD for my grad school education. And I've moved a lot growing up um, within the South, and uh, be it Virginia and Georgia. And uh, yeah, I have cerebral palsy. I was um, diagnosed when I was two with, um, with that. And I was a premature baby uh, with um, many a health problem um, coming into the world. So they kind of knew to be ready for, for uh, developmental issues. And uh, I was formally diagnosed at the age of two with that disability. I also, um, in large part due to my, dis- my physical disability, my neurological disability, I should say, um, I have a learning disability in math. Um, I have dyscalculia, um, it's, uh, so in terms of in, um, invisible um, disabilities, and I deal with anxiety and depression. So, um, yeah, that's kind of where I am, and I'm 40 years old. I just turned 40 this summer, and I have a lot of cats, and I've, I've been married for three years to a nice guy named Mike, and I have a really um, lovely family and a younger brother, so it's about me in a nutshell.
0: <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and I'm going to try, it's hard. I, you know, I've heard all of these stories about you and, and you know, we've had all of these great conversations um, prior. There is a, a, a great speaker who oftentimes joins our Anytown sessions and does consulting work within CCJ. Um, so looking kind of at your background, um, first of all, I want to talk about education. Oh, yes. Um, Yes. You know, so you both have the experience, of course, with public education, looking at Mm -hmm. elementary, middle and high school, um, but then going back to school for your undergrad, as well as your graduate school um, degrees. I'm curious, as somebody who has a disability, Mm -hmm. um, what your experience was with the education system? And of course, you know, a lot of people are having these conversations right now about what does education look like and how do we maybe keep students in the quote unquote mainstream classroom. So curious what your, what your, you know, experience was.
1: Well, um, in, in terms of um, like preschool and that environment, I actually went to, in Richmond, Virginia, it was a place called the Cerebral Palsy Center that they had in Richmond, Virginia. And so I went there um, basically, from the time I was out of hospitals and home, I would be going there. It was kind of my um, preschool environment where I was with um, other children that also had multiple handicaps and and developmental um, disabilities, and so that was very um, that was eye opening. Uh, just because I didn't know any different, everyone around me. Um, either used um, mobility equipment. We, along with learning to read, write, and, you know, basic arithmetic, things like that, we were also taught sign language along as well. So I learned that knowledge at the time. And I started kindergarten um, in a mainstream public school um, when I was four and... um, I was always very chatty. What I couldn't do <laughs> physically, I kind of made up for uh, with my verbal uh, skills in that regard. So um, definitely figured out how to make my needs met <laughs> vocally um, from a young age. So I went to um, Richmond and Henrico County public schools in Richmond, Virginia, when I was younger, and I was the first mainstream um, disabled student in the public school system. So Um, I didn't know it at the time because I was a little kid, but it was quite the big deal. And um, um, news stations followed me around um, like the first day or so of my uh, kindergarten experience um, to see how things were set up. I know when I was younger, I was on an IEP from very early on, um, which was an independent um, individual education plan. Uh, so I had one of those from the start of my education. Um, I was taken out of classes for physical therapy and occupational therapy um, during school hours. Um, I also remember, you know, we had um, specialized gym, like with the other disabled students um, in school. And this was in middle school and in high school as well. So um, I had tutoring and uh, different things like that growing up. But there was always that IEP that followed me throughout whatever school district I was in, whatever state I was living in. Um, um, I was always being tested in terms of um, psychologically and uh, intellectually. I remember taking a lot of um, those types of uh, rubric tests growing up. That was a big deal. Uh, That was a large part of... My public education experience that I don't know necessarily that a lot of the other um, regular students, and that's in quotes there for sure, um, had to do as much as as I did. So there was lots of tracking of my development. Um, It really helped that my mother, growing up, she kind of knew what questions to ask, you know, who to contact. Um, very early on, um, just in terms of my physical needs, I had in elementary school, I did have an aide that was with me at certain points of the day that would help me like through the lunch line, things like that. Sometimes it would be a student, a student would volunteer or a friend of mine would volunteer to help with things like that. I had, um, I know when I went to high school, I had a locker, but I couldn't reach my locker. So I never really used it. I would keep a set of books in each classroom for that particular class. And they allotted me a second book to keep at home. So I didn't really have to um, drag a lot of books back and forth. So that was something that was a, an accommodation med for me, um, I, I remember. And then also I would leave classes like five minutes early to be able to get to my other classes, because uh, Centerville City Schools, the schools are large, especially the high school, and so um, I would need that time so I wouldn't be late to classes. And sometimes, you know, there was one elevator in the back of the school at the time, so I'd have to get there regardless of where I was. Um, <laughs> um, fire alarms were always interesting because sometimes. Um, I would end up staying in the building with uh, with an aide or a teacher. They wouldn't actually have me do the drill itself, which I never really understood in terms of if there was an actual fire, what would happen. And that actually went on through college and, and through working environments as well, where um, in theory they had plans, but in actuality, I don't know how they would work. You know, from a physical, practical perspective. Um, And looking back on it now, thank goodness there was never that emergency that went on, you know. Um, But there was never a moment um, where I didn't feel, even though teachers and the adults and most of the students were always very kind, my otherness was always pointed out to me on some level, be it social or um, academic. Even if I was doing well in something that was almost celebrated in a way that sometimes felt when you don't want to stick out <laughs> as a teenager or as a, a, a young person, and they make a big deal about something that shouldn't really be a big deal, you're just trying to feel normal. Um, some of those accolades and pats on the back. Um, there were times where I was quite angry. I didn't understand it's like, is this for me or for you, you know, as the adults and, you know, teachers and things like that. So, and I think, um, thankfully I had a good, a really good solid foundation and relationship with my parents that I felt like, and other adults in my life as well, that I felt like I could talk about these things or say, you know, I am, I'm so sad, you know, at like 15, I don't know how to get from being this sad and having parents that said, you know what, we're going to drop everything and get you into counseling. And they did that. And, uh, I thank them every day for that because, um, I did have friends that I lost, um, in, in sad ways, such as, you know, suicide and things like that. And, um, I'm glad I wasn't to that point that I, I was able to have those um, conversations. And even now, you know, getting older with my disability, um, there are things that are coming up now that I feel like when you're younger and you have a diagnosis, there's almost a bit more hope about what people feel like you can do or uh, um, opportunities that you might be afforded. And uh, and now that as, as as someone who's like probably living a lot longer than a lot of people had expectations for, it's like going a whole new journey that I'm not sure where to go and who to talk to. And, you know, finding those communities as a disabled adult has been, um, is still very uh, frustrating sometimes. Um, and um, it's... it's um, I'm learning something new every day. I'll say that. And it definitely is something I haven't fully figured out yet. So I hope that long-winded answer (laughs) was uh, somewhat of what you were looking for.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you know, and it sounds like really what stood out to me is so much of this like paving the way conversation or maybe not even paving the way, but just like this, we're not sure how to respond to this almost a oftentimes a reactionary mindset, right, to, to coming in contact with a person with a disability or having a student uh, with a disability rather than saying, okay, we have these policies and procedures in, in place. Like, you know, when I, when I hear your fire drill example, like, right, <laughs> that's so scary to me because isn't that fire drill for you to practice how you're going to get out of the building alive? Exactly. Um, yeah. But even and the it's interesting
1: you know, too, in terms of systems and things, because, um there were, there were aspects of it that you could tell they were trying to figure out as they went. Um, and, you know, and I, no disrespect to the districts I was a part of, you know, I felt like I got a very good um, education going up. I think it, um, so I'm, I'm very blessed in that way. I'm never going to, um, but, uh, you know, just to be truthful, there were things that were um, frustrations, just even being pulled out of your education environments or um, like I would have to leave a pep rally early to catch my bus because the, the short buses or the the handicap accessible buses uh, came first and they wanted to get, it took longer to get us loaded. So, you know, but, you know, even things like that. So from a social perspective that makes you stand out, you know? Um, And and just, you know, you're missing things. You know, um, I maybe went to one football game my whole high school uh, career just because bleachers aren't accessible and I didn't want to have the hassle of having to deal with that. Um, You know, school field trips, you know, uh, thankfully I always had somebody like a, a friend or something that was willing to ride with me if I had to ride a different you know, transportation to get to an event, or, you know, if we, like, I had an opportunity to go to Canada with Muse Machine um, in high school. And it was a lovely opportunity, but it wasn't an accessible opportunity. There was a lot that I had to figure out on the fly on my own and uh, really rely on my friends who were kids themselves at the time, trying to figure out um, how to navigate these environments even um, at a very accessible and, you know, proudly so school like Wright State University, there were still issues because I chose a major that they'd never had a physically disabled person study film and, you know, production at that, you know, so there were lots of things like the photo labs were not accessible. And that was a major part of our degree was to take photography in um, high levels in photography that I couldn't do um, and that I had to find workarounds, which is fine that they were able to find said workarounds. But I still didn't get the knowledge that I needed at the time. Now, you know, um, everything is digital now at the school. You know, they've, they've gotten a lot more technologically advanced in terms of where they are as an institution. But it was a very um, frustrating environment to be in when you're kind of the only one and like checking out equipment, equipment's heavy, you know, like how to navigate those things. And then like hearing from professors, well, it would have been really nice if you could have gone to a different location to shoot your short film. But I'm disabled, sometimes my dorm is as far as I go, you know, in terms of logistics, I can't just pop into anyone's vehicle and head to some clandestine location, you know? And I never wanted people to feel like you have to reinvent the wheel for me, but I also was creative and had goals and things I wanted to do. And, you know, even now, and I still feel like there was some pushback between what my ambitions were and what others thought my capabilities would be in a field, even my counseling field. Um, You know, there are certain aspects of that job where I can't do traditional case management and go to people's homes uh, to check in on them because there's not necessarily going to be an accessible way for me to do that. Plus from a safety perspective, There are just aspects of that, that I wouldn't feel comfortable with. Um, But that's not addressed when you're in your master's program and these aren't things that come up, those systems aren't in place, you know? Um, So yeah, that can be a frustration. Um, I feel like I had a lot of, I did everything the way traditionally you were supposed to. I knew that going, if I could, if my, you know, intellect and, you know, my means would allow me that going to college would be the only way that I would be able to, um, be an active participant in society. Um, but even that didn't necessarily help me in terms of like practical positions and jobs. And, and I I still feel like I'm still trying to make my own way. And in some ways you're just like, I just want like a basic job, <laughs> like trying to like make your own way. Sometimes it's, it's a lot and it can be fun and wonderful and uh, satisfying in its own right. But it's also like, oh, I just kind of want something basic and, you know, make money, save money to be able to do other things, you know? And um, yeah, so it, it's been an interesting journey. Um, and I hope that, and, and I'm, and I'm not trying to complain. I will say that I, I actually um, don't see my disability as a hindrance in a lot of ways. I find that I do my best to see people as individuals and I try to have a lot of empathy for others and meet people where they're at. And so I think that having differences um, has allowed me to to open that part of myself up. And I feel like if I didn't have that, I don't know if I'd be the same person. So um, I don't wanna make it seem like, oh, woe is me, you know? There's no tiny violins over here. We all have things that we're going through, you know, and, and challenges that we have to to face. It's just, um, sometimes it's nice to be able to talk about it and be heard, you know? So it's like, it's an honor to be here and like be able to talk with you about these kinds of things. And, maybe it'll spark conversation within families and friend groups and businesses, you know, that it might not just be a ramp situation or, you know, I've never been able to like work food service type jobs or, you know, like easily work at a bookstore because a lot of things aren't accessible, you know, even from a customer service perspective, a lot of customer service jobs I had coming out of college were over the phone, um, I, and I don't know if I necessarily would have gotten said job if they had seen me first versus having my first interview be just over the phone. So you know, you never know, or if you're being hired because they need to check a box and they have no intention of keeping you beyond the 90 days that you get in your trial period, you know? And a lot of the um, issues that I would have in a traditional office space, Or things coming down to having to go down seven flights of stairs to use the one accessible restroom in the building. But then, why am I not in my office on the phone as much as someone else? Well, I didn't have five steps to the to the nearest bathroom or a cafeteria where I could reach and have food. You know, just even things like that. You know, Uh, so. And I think that people don't think about those things, like not being able to use a water fountain, you know, just that you wouldn't even think about it on a daily basis, you know, or even just having to ask a boss a very personal question for a need being met um, brought up HR is- issues, you know, just because it was, you know, uh, no one was prepared, you know, for those kind of things. so anyway.
0: (laughs) That's great. Yeah, thank you. Um, And I think that these are all conversations that are so crucial. Um, And, you know, as we start to think about, like, how can we make our businesses more inclusive? I mean, I, I assume people, you know, listening to this podcast are trying to figure out what can I do to be a more inclusive individual? And it sounds like a lot of that is that proactivity, but also making sure that the spaces individuals are inhabiting have those, um, have thought about those details, have thought about, you know, how might somebody access this resource? Um, and I do wanna shift
1: down share- to how it's discussed within, like, if you're working within an office space and you're working in teams or with other people on your floor, with like under the same supervisor, how those needs being met are affecting or being discussed with the other people you're working with. Because there were often times I'd be on a job and there seemed to be resentment uh, because it seemed like I wasn't working, but I was being trained to use equipment to be able to do my job effectively, but it didn't look that way to people sitting around me. So like my boss, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wasn't having conversations as a team like this is what Dara is doing she's tr- actively being a part of the team it just looks different right now that was all on me and again I mean it got to the point where some situations were very much like high school people wouldn't eat with me at lunch there was a lot of like those nonverbal kind of slights like you know and it became a very difficult environment to work in because i felt very stuck it's like i can't do the job unless i have this but it's hard to create those um you know copacetic work environment you know connections where i feel like i can um even ask for, even ask a question or help or, or you know, help up someone else, you know? It, it made me feel like they thought I was incompetent so they weren't coming to me for help, you know? And then, yeah, and in, invariably those situations didn't work out. Um, so, uh, I mean, and I would hope that someone coming in after me with maybe a similar situation would have a better time in the long run, but then you worry too, will someone like me be hired again? (laughs) Like, oh, we tried that and it didn't work. So, you know, we're gonna um, put that person's application on the bottom, you know what I mean? You never know. So it's been an interesting situation, so.
0: Yeah. Well, so the kind of last question I'd like to ask for this episode today, is looking at this term disabled, right? And I know there's a lot of conversation around the term disabled. And and there's also, I mean, there's language around disabilities, right? We know language Mm -hmm. is really important. Um, So I was hoping that you could share, first of all, how you feel about this term disabled Mm -hmm. and also kind of looking at language as it pertains to um, this community.
1: Totally, Um, I'd be happy to. For me personally, growing up, the term handicapped never felt right. I, I never liked being called handicapped. Um, there was actually a, um, a sketch on In Living Color when I was a kid um, called Handyman. And he was, you know, a butt of a joke, kind of a, a character that was supposed to be, you know, developmentally uh, disabled and, um, and physically disabled, and I remember I was. I, it made me cry, and I. It, but it made me angry. It, it made you know, it's all these things. And my mom, it was so many. She's like, "Let them know. Write them a letter." And so I did. I wrote, and I don't know if it ever got to them, but like I was my first kind of, uh, you know, I'm gonna be an, you know, I'm gonna advocate and and uh, and be out there and, and use my voice. And I remember. of writing that it made it made me feel small and um in in the only words that i knew like an eight year old would know at the time but uh i remember that really stuck with me and i and i believe in in comedy and that like you can make you know jokes and have conversations be started and i'm not as sensitive about certain aspects as i was as a child but in terms of like representation for me the handyman sketch stuck with me. Handy handicapped was bad, like handicapable seemed very ascending. I never liked that. Disabled for me, but now in terms for me, I don't like when I described myself, I think my disability was maybe second to last of something that I mentioned. So it's not the first thing that comes up for me. So in that regard, that's how I use how I feel about it. It doesn't define who I am. It is a part of who I am. But here's all these other things that I'm really into as well. And I just happen to be a person with a disability. So that person first is important to me. Um, If I know someone is coming from a good place, like through their tone, their actions, if someone says, you know, what's it like, you know, um, being crippled or disabled? you know, and they're just really trying to know and they're using language that doesn't hit right, but I know where they're trying to go and it's a positive thing, I'll give them the grace to, you know, maybe let's correct this, let's back this up, let's have a discussion. You know, um, I tend to be, it takes a lot to make me angry. Now, if you do make me angry, I can show that as well. And well, that just proves to me that you really, um, that you're just being cruel. You know, if we've had a discussion and you're still using terms as a pejorative, like disabled or, you know, uh, various things like that, then that's a whole nother discussion for me. Um, I, I think children, they're always in a process of learning. So I, you know, I've had children say, why are your legs broken? you know, I'm not going to snap at that child and say to them, you know, my legs, are, you know, we're going to have a talk at their, at their level, you know, and I would prefer that happen. than the parent yank their kid, apologize. It's like, no, then you're creating an environment where that child's going to grow up being fearful of what they can or how they can uh, interact with someone who's different than them. And I would hate for that to be the case. So for me, terms like disabled is fine. I don't personally use, um, like, I know a lot of people have taken back, like, crippled and like GIMP and different language like that. For me, it doesn't really come up. It's not how I speak. Um, it doesn't offend me if I'm with other disabled people and that's what they choose to use. I mean, it doesn't always correlate with race. I don't use the N word in my everyday life, but I do know black people that do, and for them it feels like they're taking it back, and that's fine. It just for me it hurts my heart, so I don't say it, and I don't ever want to give people an opportunity to use my language weaponized against myself. So I try to be very thoughtful about that. If that answers the question, <laughs> I, I'm very um very aware of the power of words. And I try to be very thoughtful about that across the board. Uh, You know, especially with, you know, I have friends that, you know, they've been newly diagnosed with like MS, various things like that. These are different experiences than what I've had, you know, and they're all valid experiences. And I feel like I had a friend ask me, is it, is it okay to feel like I'm part of this disabled community? like yes of course you know you are dealing with something now that puts you in a in in this in a community now and um you are loved and seen and we will take care of you you know it's like and if you i've always felt like you want to be a part of my tribe i'm gonna gladly accept you across the board because that's not usually how it goes so yeah um but there are it's really interesting um People who have acquired their disability through like accidents or, or, you know, things like that versus, you know, maybe they spent part of their life, you know, not disabled uh, physically, that being that it is a different life experience than someone who was born with their disability and doesn't know any different. And I think there still needs to be a lot of communication within the different groups within our communities, you know. Cause we have more in common than we do not, but it's hard to see sometimes. Sometimes I just feel like I'm just one rolling party every every day, and so it's like, okay, where where's my focus going to go? <laughs> you <Yeah. laughs> know, yeah. So, so yeah, the term um disabled doesn't bother me. I will say that um, I'm Dara first, disabled second. So,
0: yeah. Thank you. I like that, uh, <laughs> and, and I I think especially you know looking at that that conversation you had with, or the hypothetical conversation with a kid, like, I think so much of this is stems from ignorance, right? And people not having these conversations and and growing up and having the fact that, you know, the students in your school, if there were any, you know, who had uh, physical disabilities were in a different classroom and, you know, we're not with the other students and we don't know what we don't know. Um, And so, You know, I think that education, that moment to say, hey, actually, you know, we use this terminology or, or you know, let me tell you why this is, why that potentially might be hurtful. Um, I really appreciate The
1: attitudes of, um, and I, I noticed this from quite a few adults where it's like, oh, your issues make me feel better about my life. And it's like, when you say that to some, to an actual person, that's insulting. (laughs) Um, and you know, I, I, I understand that a lot of times that comes from a loving idea like, Oh, this sweet, wonderful child with these issues, it makes me count my blessings, but then yes, do that, but then still treat the child or the person with dignity and respect while you in your own personal life, count your blessings and, and recognize that, yeah, I'm kind of glad I don't have to deal with X, Y, and Z. And I think that, um, kids seem to get that a little better than adults do sometimes. Um, and I think that's a big part of it. And you see it a lot on social media, you know, inspiration porn, that kind of thing. It's like, I'm glad you're proud of me, but (laughs) you know, um, is it about me or just that it looks really nice? You know, it's a, it's a, it's a good think piece. You know, um, but yet I still didn't get invited to that party that you threw. You know, so I just think people just need to be very mindful of that they're they're being kind for the right reasons. You know, or um, engaging for their for the right reasons. You know, so and if you don't like somebody with a disability because they're a jerk. Maybe it's just because they're a jerk, not because they're disabled, <laughs> you know? So we, we have all sorts of um, personalities and attitudes, and we don't all have the same politics and, you know, just like anyone else. So you just have to get to know us as individuals and go from there.
0: Yeah. So. Well, Dara, I really appreciate you being here and having this conversation with everyone. Um, this is our part one episode <laughs> Thank you so much for being here, Dara.
1: Thank you, Lake. It's been great. Thank you.